I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Just a reminder that we're just releasing the one podcast a week at the moment. It's going to be on a Monday, certainly through March, while we'll do the Primary Education Summit, which I'm heavily involved in. But if you want to find out all the details of, of why that's the case, do go back and listen to episode 329, where I chat all about my decisions and the reasons for it and how you can get in touch and, and make some of the some of the feedback that we're going to need going forward. Today we have a replay of the live video podcast we did back earlier in February and it was entitled What is Self-Efficacy and Why Should We Be Paying Attention to It in Schools? Now I won't go into any more details in that because I, we explained it a lot during this episode but I really hope you enjoy this and you get a sense of the difference between the audio podcast and the, the video podcast. So if you want to actually see what that looks like I'll have a link in the show notes so that you can click through and see it on YouTube as well and weigh up the two situations. So thanks very much, really hope you enjoy this and I look forward to chatting to you again very soon. Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. We're here on YouTube for our second live podcast. It was something I really wanted to do to give people the opportunity, obviously, to come and watch, but also feel free to put any comments down below and, and we can sort of bring that into the conversation. And if you have any Q&A, that would be fantastic. Just put a Q colon and that enables me just to keep an eye on what's going on and any questions and I'll, and I'll be able to bring those in. So what are we talking about today? Well, it's what is self-efficacy and why should we be paying attention to this in primary schools? Um, and I'm delighted to be chatting to Professor Claire Wood and, and Katie Blaney. And there's a white paper that we're going to be discussing. We'll talk about the history behind how that's going to work, how it's going to bring everything in, um, and, and a general idea of, um, of what maybe we can do, some practices we can put in to help people who I think across the country have sort of noticed um, the difference post-COVID in, in how we can support the children as, as best we can. So if you haven't already, please do hit that subscribe button um, just helps you know what's coming up and how we can uh, support you going forward and one of the things I do as well as doing the podcast is I'm vice chair of the National Association for Primary Education and we have our primary education summit coming up in March um, and this is going to be part of the free Christian Schiller lecture, which they've done annually. And then to support that, we have 11 pre-recorded presentations. And we're also going to have um, four discussion panels as well. And that's going to be on the the environment, both in school and how you can bring that into the curriculum. We've got some primary assessment, very um, um, 
apt for today um, and we have early years financial stage and the humanities so do look out for that as you can see there the website's there nape.org.uk forward slash summit so without further ado thank you so much and great to welcome katie and professor claire wood thank you so much both of you for being here thank you so katie why don't you start us off with what are we talking about and where did it come from in terms of, of the research and the white paper and, and sort of your involvement in it all Absolutely. So, yeah, so I'm um, Director of Assessment Product at Hodder Education and we develop um, assessments for primary schools, secondary schools. We produce um, surveys, diagnostic tests as well. Um, so we develop those um, as we try and develop evidence based solutions. Uh, they're really data rich and insight and help schools make decisions to improve pupils learning. So we work with people like Claire at universities to help develop these products based on um, things that schools are asking for um, to help support them, really. And we we know that really they're there to help schools make their their judgments as teachers about how the children are, put, are getting on really with their learning. Um, so where this this came about is uh, we developed a product um, with Claire Wood um, a number of years ago um, about well-being and attitudes to learning. Um, we also have a number of attainment tests across reading, maths, grammar, punctuation and spelling that are used in primary schools. Uh, so when the schools started closing, we realized that we had a huge amount of um, data um, in our systems and a huge amount of insight that we could um, have a look at to understand what was happening in schools uh, or with children's learning um, after the schools had been closed. So we applied to some funding um, to help understand this longer term impact on pupil attainment. But we also brought in um, the well-being and attitudes to learning um, to this research, which meant we applied to Nuffield Foundation and we were really thrilled they gave us a grant to, to carry out this research and look at this data. And this enabled us to examine the impact um, on academic progress and well-being of primary age children. So we published quite a lot of our analysis on the attainment in reading, maths and grammar in mainstream state schools in England particularly. Um, and then we published the wellbeing survey results in the autumn um, of last year. So the work was carried out with our team, with Dr. Christina Milanovic um, on the analysis, um, Claire Wood at Nottingham and um, Timo Hane at School Dash, who helped us make sure we could look across um, pupil level and school level analysis. And we worked with a, the number of advisors as well that consulted on the product, um, the project as we went along. So specifically what we're talking about today is the wellbeing research. So there we looked at the, the trends in wellbeing of primary age children, and that was around 20,000 children's results. And that was across about 145 schools um, who'd entered results into the survey. So we anonymously aggregated all of this and looked at the, the most recent year's results and compared it to pre-COVID times and actually going back a few years. And this helped us look at well-being against four different dimensions. Um, so this was positivity, for instance, a child's satisfaction with school, their motivation, for instance, what drives a child's academic behaviour, their resilience and how well a child responds to their successes and failures, and self-efficacy, which is defined as the children's belief about their capabilities to succeed and pursue their goals. And the real key findings across all of those is we did see everything drop um, across all those dimensions in the post-pandemic period. But the one we saw the biggest drop on was around self-efficacy, and that dropped um, to around about 18% actually. 
Um, and that was particularly important to, to see for us to see that actually only around 40% of children were really showing strong self-efficacy. So that finding in itself was was worrying. And I think um, I'll pass over to Claire now just to just to talk a bit more about why and uh, and um, why it's important in schools. Yeah, thank you, Katie. So self-efficacy, as Katie mentioned, it's it it's different from self-esteem, and I think that's quite important to kind of distinguish straight away. So. We, we all kind of understand what self-esteem is and it's very personal quality and it's to do with um, the, how we feel about ourselves. Self-efficacy is more specific and it's to do with the extent to which we believe that we can achieve our goals or we can achieve things that we set for ourselves. And it's been linked in the academic literature over um, a number of years to things like academic achievement and the reason why it's linked to ac academic achievement is for a number of reasons um, primarily because we know that it's linked to expectancy so in other words um, children's sense of self-efficacy their sense to which they feel that they're going to be successful academically um, it affects things like um, the extent to which they believe that they can achieve and therefore that in turn impacts the extent to which they do then go on to achieve and it's kind of a truism that if you it's almost like self-fulfilling prophecy if you, if you think that you can you will and if you think that you can't you probably won't so um we also know interestingly enough because there was recently there's been the publication by the department of education of their well-being analysis um and that focused very much on anxiety and that has observed that children's anxiety seems to be something that has increased um, over recent years, as a, perhaps as a result of COVID. And we also know that self-efficacy is linked to stress and anxiety in children. So for me, that wasn't a surprise at all. But I think the thing that's worth noting is that the way that we assess it in the wellbeing tool is it's very, very specific to do with children's wellbeing and motivation in educational contexts in the classroom. So we're not talking about a generalized sense of well-being. We're talking about well-being with respect to how they're getting on at school, how they're fitting in in the classroom and so on. And that's quite different to some of the other well-being analyses that have been presented in relation to um, sort of what's happened to children since COVID. But yes, so self-efficacy is really important. We know it underpins good academic outcomes for children. We know it's linked to other aspects of well-being, like stress and anxiety. We know it's also really well correlated with things like children's general sense of positivity and their motivation to learn as well. And so, and also their perception of the value of different educational tasks. So if children have a good sense of self-efficacy, that tends to affect the way that they see tasks that are put in front of them as a, as a, by a school teacher. And I guess for me, it, it makes perfect sense. Like you say, we had a lot of time out of the classroom, a lot of time out of school. And I know year three specifically, you know, we're talking about reception age children who were sort of disrupted as they as they were going through there so when we're talking about this sort of the percentage drops in that kind of thing I guess it's understandable but also do you think it's fair or or, or do you think there should be that allowance that of course there's going to be some kind of time to to have a rebound to what the percentage was before or what we'd like it to be or do we feel like we're always having to kind of 
pin it to to what was sort of pre-pandemic this is the norm kind of thing and, and is there sort of a line really or a graph that's going to enable us to think well in a year or two that would make sense that we've been through something traumatic as a, as a war but certainly as children in a large part of their life and and that's going to then sort of heal as it were and and then life will continue maybe better because you've been through something which you've been struggling with so katie why don't you start us with that yeah, I know. I think that's a really interesting question. I think of all of the dimensions, the self-efficacy one was the one that was always a bit, was lower. So, and I don't think um, that we should necessarily stop to to think that children should get back to just that level. I think this is an area, as, as Claire says, is important. And one of the aims of this, this the platform, the survey for schools, was to give them the, in, the teachers the insight to help children to actually overcome this and hopefully we would see a higher percentage um, of children back to you know a lot higher than where we were before um, before the, the schools were closed. Um, I do think that um, there is a question of um, you know where you asked then about you know what, what the trajectory is I don't think we know yet and that's one of the reasons we did this um, analysis in the first place was to give us that insight you know what is the what's the baseline um, where can where can the children get to and we think it's important to keep going with this kind of research keep looking understanding um, and also start monitoring whether the interventions that are being put in place in schools actually are making a difference um, which ones are working which ones are sustainable um, for instance the EF do a lot of good work here to actually see the impact of some of these interventions and on on children so i think it's that's the important thing and claire have you found that teachers knowing that it's across the country or it's similar in lots of ways does that give them some kind of help and support in terms of we're all in this together and we can support each other generally of course everything's personalized and every child has has different needs but but in in terms of it's something we're navigating as a profession you know as an education system absolutely and i think that's i think there's a number of different elements to this isn't there because i think that the profession's under a huge amount of pressure and has been i mean it's been under a huge amount of pressure for a number of years now obviously but the a lot of the focus has been on um, like you, you mentioned benchmarking about to pre-pandemic standards. A lot of it has been around, let's try and get the children caught up academically. There's been a lot of concern about there's, there's, you know, particularly we mentioned the children who are in year, who were in year three, when we did the survey, you know, we know that this is an age group that really did suffer, um, academically as a, as a consequence of, of all the school closures and so on because of the stage of education they were at. But the point is that you, it, we have to remember, if you like, the whole child. And I think that's what teachers are really good at doing is remembering the wider context. So whilst there might be external pressures to focus on the attainment element, it's really important if we're going to tackle the attainment, we remember that um, we have to also address the children's psychological needs and what's important for them in order to be successful because if you've got children who have taken a hit in terms of their sense of self-efficacy um, it's not going to be enough to put on catch-up tutorials it's not going to be enough to see if we can set additional homework or whatever measures might be put in place in order to try and get children's um, performance on SATs or whatever up to a level that that is deemed to be sort of um, 
catching up or acceptable or whatever standard we set. What we have to remember is that um, there's another element to this, which is if you want children to engage with that learning and particularly engage with this additional learning that's being put in front of them at the moment, they've got to feel that they can do it. They've got to feel that they're capable of being successful. And I think that's, that's you know, we talked about they've taken a hit in their self-efficacy. What we haven't talked about is why that happened. Um, and that, and that, that holds the key to helping them rebuild that. So the reason why, or in my view anyway, the, one of the reasons why their self-efficacy took that hit was because of the, the social isolation. We know that things that we need, we all need in order to build our sense of self-efficacy is we need to be in that social environment. We need to be in an environment where we can experience being successful. So we get a sense of mastery and we, we know that we can do things where we're not able to experience that ourselves. We get it vicariously from watching other people who are just like us do their thing and be successful too. And children get so much from that peer-to-peer -peer contact and watching what other children are attempting to do and wanting to do and engage with and saying, well, I, I want to do that too, or they're, they're able to do it, why can't I? And when you're at home and you're learning on your own or you're learning maybe with your, your siblings or you're learning with your parent, that social comparison with other children who are like you gets taken away from you to a certain extent and so those sources of reassurance and confirmation and that be that ability to feel like this is something that i can do gets stripped away and all you're left with is the learning task all you're left with is you and the online work that you've been set by your teacher and hopefully some feedback and so on so um i think this is a really long-winded verbose academic way of me saying that I think that if if we want to see the children really kind of engage with all of the good stuff that we're do, doing as a profession we also need to make space within the classroom not just for kind of you know havens and well-being centers and, and things like that but to actually build it into our approach to teaching and learning and to think about is this a learning task that we can set up as a group or a community activity where we can start to get the children together, learning together, learning from each other, observing each other, getting it, and can we control that environment so that the children are more often than not experiencing success rather than finding the limits of what they can't, can't do um, and becoming more and more sensitized to what they find challenging and what they find difficult. Um, and the thing to remember as well is that one of the common observations that we've had from teachers is what's been termed self-regulation, that thing that, that what came what came out of the pandemic was that the children um, were struggling with different levels of self of, of self-regulation. And that was kind of picked up in the way that we assess self-efficacy because we broke it down into three different kinds. So there was academic self-efficacy. So can you cope with the sorts of things that you're doing at school and then there's um, emotional self-efficacy so to what extent do I feel that I can be successful in regulating my emotional reactions to how I'm learning at school and then there's also that sort of social self-efficacy so how good am I actually managing my peer relationships my relationships with my teachers um, and we measured those things separately and I think 
the fact that we picked up on this dip in self-efficacy is also picking up on this um, struggle that the children are having uh, with sort of learning to regulate how they're reacting to success and failure in the classroom and being back together as well. So it's really it's a really complicated sort of um, set up to try and navigate professionally. But I think thinking differently about what we're focusing on in terms of assessment could be really important here. And I think for me, what I find so interesting and so supportive i mean here on the podcast we talk about creative and inspiring learning and and all the amazing things that people are creating and and providing for children both in and out of the classroom but i think the essence of what you're saying about having this you know an environment where children can thrive and a situation where they're learning together but under that umbrella of you know as an education profession as a school we know what we can do. We can control the things that need control and we can give them the freedom they need in order to sort of make that sort of experimental learning and like I say, the working together and learning from each other. And that's that's a really exciting thing because I, I, we always often, as, as parents, my, my wife often sort of that kind of sense, you know, we know the children are going to fail. We can see things happening coming up. But as the grown-ups, we can create that soft landing. We can give them the experience they need to learn what they may, whatever that lesson happens to be. But we've got them, you know, we we, we can actually support that. And I think that kind of idea within the school as well, you know, is is a really, really important one. And we have, sorry, Katie, Katie. Yeah, just sort of linking into that, that we um, we heard from Joe Quince, who is um, Director of Education at Tennyson Road um, Learning Community Trust, about this exactly that. And, and it was interesting to hear what she said, because she really reflected on the, the year three dip and finding that was very common. Um, and what they put in place in their trust around those spaces, so reading to learn spaces, places where children can go and reset, um, having the learning zones for behaviour, really and as you just said then there's sort of timetabling some some t- actual time to deal with different things so dealing with anxiety or belonging low self-esteem um having classes that actually talk about self-regulation and stations to how to learn about self-regulation and i think it is that it's pretty it's it's not just there's not one fix here it's a whole range of things and creating that space um help helping the teachers understand what they what they can do and how to how to model and support those children so i think yeah just reflecting on what you said yeah I think for me as well is it's really hard as we get older to to get that sense of of time and you know the percentage of a child's life that they were affected both during the actual pandemic itself and then sort of the in and out as the rules started to change and what you could do is 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 really massive isn't it it kind of makes a really a really big difference and so we're thinking oh yeah it was you know it's a year of this and a bit of this and in and out but it's like it's like a massive part of their life so like you say not only did they sort of lose lose the skills that we can see as certain things that they could do but there's whole proportions of their life which would have been very organic which they don't know any difference so like I say us putting things into place are gonna (laughs) gonna make a big difference to that um Katie I'm interested in knowing because the the reason I love the podcast is because we can we can chat which is something that I relate to much more than necessarily reading a white paper or or going out and finding research 
but of course it's so incredibly important because that gives us the framework and the understanding and the knowledge of what's happening uh, sort of around in education generally as we're t- talking here so can you talk us a little bit about how that works from your point of view you know where the starting point is for what you're going to research you know how it works within Hodger education and then that sort of sort of dispelling and and, and getting it out into the world into uh, like a podcast mm. today where we can sort of control that yeah absolutely so um so the the main research we've been doing is on our attainment tests so that's the the reading maths grammar punctuation um termly tests um where we have a very large data set because i think that's where it starts is the, the for us it's about data analysis and actually understanding trends uh so the research tends to be um as we get a new um upload of data so termly we will then um work with school dash um to look at that data and our in-house data scientists um to just to see first of all just what's happening you know so so are there any um interesting trends and so we'll look at that from various ways which will be at school level um looking across um different across the country see if there's any trends there at the subject level um looking at types of school and whether disadvantage has any impact um on on what we're seeing um we will look at gender differences um we will look at um whether children have uh free school meals access and therefore is that having any impact on on the attainment as well um so we'll tend to just um start by having a look and seeing what what's interesting are there any interesting trends and then we'll dig into that um and dig in to see if we can see what's causing that so we can go into subject and topic level and see whether there's any anything that's driving um any change in behavior um because i think the the really interesting um access that we have is that longitudinal data set uh and it really is about looking for something that might be helpful for schools and and trusts to to be able to compare their own results to because i think a trust um the reason that schools and trusts use these these tests is to get that insight quite regularly um but of course you want to know how you're doing against the rest of the country and other the trends you're seeing and we've, we found this particularly when we started talking about year three you know the trends you're seeing the same as other schools um so really that's what we're trying to, to pick out so so once we've we've worked out because usually there's a lot of data and you can you can look at it in lots of ways so once we've worked at the interesting areas we'll then um find it will then um produce that into a written paper and and um, create images of the areas that we think are most interesting and easy to digest um, and then we'll work with our uh, marketing and PR teams to actually get this published um, and then you know this is why conversations like this are really important I think and um, the Nuffield research project was um, was a one-off or the first for us it might not be a one-off it certainly was the first um, where we've actually had funding to do this research which was obviously for a very mo- a moment in time um, we will pro- we will likely carry on with um, some small scale research um ongoing because i do think it's important to to keep keep going on this but um always open to new ideas of what we should look at as well and for those of you who if you've got something to to comment on in terms of what we said already or if you've got any questions for um either katie or claire do just put them in the comments and i'll i can bring those up in and we can get some get some answers to that as well um claire i'm interested because one of the things one of the other things we talk a lot about within education is this sense of community and the fact mm-hmm. that you know if we start with a child as a child-centered idea of what's learning of course it's the teachers of course it's the school but it's also parents it's their surrounding world of clubs and and the physical environments as well and it just seems to me that 
this is the perfect sort of example of that working in the grown-up world as it were you know we have an education organization you know there's your university we've got a, a foundation that's able to provide some some funding for that as well so so from your point of view how, how does does that work for you in terms of of working collectively with sort of different organizations and, and how you can sort of bring your expertise in yeah it's it's absolutely i think increasingly in academia but certainly for my own work it's it's really important that we're able to bring together colleagues from the education community folk from educational publishing um people that are actually working with children who have experienced different levels of disruption and so on and actually come together to co-design um research and to co-design in this case, you know, it was a product that we came together to to develop when we did the well-being um, uh, survey and strategies. So, so for example, um, I direct a research centre, which is a centre looking at language education and developmental inequalities. And one of the things that we're trying to do as a research centre is not just interrogate some of the challenges that we have in relation to children's development and children's education, but to do that in a way that involves all those relevant voices, that involves the voices and the experiences of children and their parents and the wider families and the school communities and colleagues who are based in the local authorities and colleagues that are working in the schools um, and that is some of the most satisfying research that we do to be honest and it's something that we're we're pushing very hard to do more of so i think it's it's a really um exciting development within academia that there is much more attention being paid now to this notion of co-creation and sitting down with each other as we did with um Katie's team all those years ago, where we said, we know we have a need, we know that schools need support in relation to fulfilling um, their requirements for monitoring and support around um, children's well-being, because at the time there was a lot of responsibility being placed on schools for that. Um, we know that a, a survey would be helpful because that would be something that would enable schools to gather data that they can use but for me um, a really important question to include in that tool was this we needed to answer the so what question so we've we've surveyed the children in a school and we found either a group of individual children and we found a class group or a year group that are showing cause for concern so what what are we going to do to support that school to um, make important changes and so alongside the survey we we tried to develop as far as we were able to strategies that were drawing heavily on research and theory that would help make a practical difference in each of those things where we might be showing we might be finding that children are showing vulnerabilities so and those were things that could be implemented at whole school level or those um, might include things that would be implemented at a level of a smaller group or an individual child and that was really exciting so we did that with um, a colleague of mine who's an educational psychologist so we brought all of her expertise in and we spoke to teachers and we spoke to parents and I think what we ended up with was something that was that I think I still think it's a starter for 10 in many ways but it's a it's been a really really important tool and it's kind of brought children's well-being 
into the conversation in schools. So instead of generally talking about well-being and not really thinking about what we mean by that, we've been able to do something where we've said, what does well-being in the classroom consist of? What should we be paying attention to? And what can we make good practical changes in relation to as well? Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think the more that we can come together, like you say, recognise that we're a community and I've said it before and I'll say it again, you know, we're all working in different spheres, but trying to achieve the same end game, which is we want to get children learning more successfully. We want them to enjoy the act of learning and we want them to ultimately be incredibly successful and we're all pulling on different strings. And if we all come together and um, listen to each other and, and develop things that are fulfilling a real need then I think we've got something really powerful and it seems to me that um, and, and Katie you can sort of talk to this in in terms of the results of, of what came out of, of, of the assessment and the research but the difference between boys and girls and in terms of what they thought what they felt and and and, and going forward let alone sort of the different regional elements so just give us sort of some idea of that so that people listening can think oh yeah that sort of resonates with me or, or, or and then we can talk about maybe some ideas of how you can approach supporting that yeah absolutely so so some of the other things that we found were um that a higher percentage of boys reported that they felt capable at school than girls um which i thought was very interesting only 36 percent of girls said they believe they're capable which really had reduced quite a lot um compared to the boys um so that was the the, the difference in in girls and boys there um also a higher percentage of girls than boys responded that they're feeling motivated positive and resilient so um they were generally um scoring higher higher um, but it has reduced over time in those areas um, and then in terms of the the schools in the north of england we found that more children had satisfactory responses across all dimensions than schools in the south because um, we were dealing with 145 schools so it was a bit of a smaller sample than we'd normally be dealing with um, so we, we were only able to group at north and south um, so it's not as nuanced as, as normal but um, i thought that was an interesting trend and one we'd want to look at um, over time um, and then for the more recent school year, um, self-efficacy was 17% um, more in the north, um, resilience was 9% higher, positivity was 7% higher and motivation 10% higher than the south. So there, re there really is like you say the the devil's in the detail as it were and, and, and the, the nuances within that and Claire for people who were hearing this and thinking we haven't even asked the questions like you were saying before about how we can sort of create an environment or or understand what this means and put it into the classroom. If you had to sort of have one or two things that would be your starting point or your starting questions maybe, um, what do you think they would be? Um, well, if we take a big step back and think very simply about, um, in, in psychology we have this concept of basic psychological need and that, that we have three basic psychological needs. And one is we have um, a need to feel competent. One is we have the need to be able to act autonomously, so feel like we have some control over what we do. And we also have a need for relatedness. So we have a need and a desire to connect with other people. And if you get those three basic psychological needs in check, that then drives a lot of what motivates behaviour, 
and a lot of what motivates um, the sort of things that we'd like to see in school settings. So I think in very, very broad terms, if you're thinking about um, a general approach to how can I try and create an environment in my school, in my classroom, that is going to feel more acceptable, more welcoming, um, more of an engaging environment for my children. Um, though, if you keep those three ideas in mind, I think that's a good starting point. I think that's a really good starting point. The idea of asking the question, what sort of tasks, when I'm designing my, my lessons for the day, what sort of tasks could I give a little bit more control over to the children over in terms of selecting what we're going to look at today or how we're going to study it or what are the children going to produce as the outcome of that learning activity? Try and get some input from the children in relation to that. Thinking about that relatedness and that goes back to community again, back to that community idea of thinking about um, what are the aspects of school life day to day that different children that you might be concerned about really feel connected to or have got the potential to feel connected to um, and leaning into those things a little bit more for those children who are most vulnerable but really working harder developing an identity for the children at school where they feel that their school and their class and their community is a big part of who they are you know those sorts of things that are you know those are such broad principles you can interpret those in ways that in in a variety of different ways that hopefully you can get working in a classroom context yeah it makes a big difference doesn't it when you're not just talking about i'm going to be able to do this but it's only in the afternoon when i'm doing this subject or in the morning when i'm doing that subject so i say it becomes part of learning in that whole kind of this is what we're about and how we can support children and then all the things we have to do then can kind of fit in fit in through that um and just one final reminder for everybody in terms of if you do if you do have a comment or you do have uh, a question you'd like to ask please just do that and i'll bring that in just before before we wrap it up so katie is there a takeaway that you'd like for people to hear in terms of whether it's one of the stats that sort of surprised you or, or something which you think would just sort of be a key thing which is important for people to take away? Yeah, I think it's just that, um, I think it's just as Claire said, you know, making sure that schools have got that um, the, the right culture and the right support for the children to to think about their academic um, well-being and motivation um, and attitudes to their learning. Uh, I think this is this survey has and analysis has showed that that um, you need to really tune into that in a school and tune into where the children are to really help enable their learning. So um, just continuing to to keep that prominent. Um, we can't just be focusing on attainment. I think there are many people clapping in the background I can hear around, the, around the country what a what a great way to, to to finish off so well thank you both for being here thank you for the work that you're doing and and I love it when there's a word for the day and it seems like community was one of those in so many different ways it kind of really sort of brings everything together so, yeah so thank you both for for being here and sharing all this I really really do appreciate it um and so just as we do finish off, just a reminder, as I mentioned earlier on, this uh, Primary Education Summit, which is in March, uh, if you go to nape.org.uk forward slash summit, um, it gives you all the details there. It tells you about the free lecture, as I mentioned, um, and also how you can sign up for the the presentations and and, the, and further live discussions. So thank you very much indeed. I really appreciate your time. Please do share your thoughts in the comments and if you want to share this with other people if they think they would get something out of it i'd really appreciate that so thanks very much indeed see you again very soon
Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.